When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It is season three. It's episode 13. Pakoda hates the Cubs 2024 edition. Carly, I feel like we've got that on rewind. Don't forget to uh, listen, download, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast, and don't forget to leave us a five-star review. In this segment, Carly interviews Craig Goldstein, editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, to discuss the 2024 Cubs Pakoda projections. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I'm glad to have back our old friend Craig Goldstein, editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, and he is going to explain to you, the listeners, why Pakoda hates the Cubs. Craig, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I was sick last week. Still, you know, people can probably hear it a little bit, but getting better, so... All right, I'm, I'm going to go here, and, and we're going to take a look right away. And, and why don't you tell our listeners first what Pakoda stands for and what it does? Uh, what it what it stands for? It's it's a uh, it's a backronym, so people need to understand that it was it was uh, named Pakoda. I mean, this is for this is forever ago. Um, I th- developed it originally by Nate Silver, who is uh, famous for many other reasons now, uh, but it is a completely different projection model from when he used to do it. He used to do it. And this is not a, this is not a knock. This was, these were the tools at the time, but it was in Excel. Those formulas in Excel <laughs> at the time. Uh, right now, Jonathan Judge is, is at the controls uh, of Pakoda and we use, uh, it's, it's a very uh, advanced modeling technique, uh, mixed models and, and, and various things that, that uh, go and get involved into it. And so it, it stands for player empirical comparison and optimization test algorithm. It is named after Bill Pakoda, the, the MLB player. Uh, again, Nate Silver named it that. And then again, devised a, uh, you know, something that an acronym to fit that, that name. Uh, but we've stuck with it. It's, it's a, it's a brand it's, it's BP's, uh, projection engine. And so people know it. And so we've stuck with it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what it means. Uh, that, that's what it stands for, but it is, it's just, it's a projection uh, algorithm or, or model, much like many other ones that are out there. And I think what people have to understand is, and, and you and I just joke about this. You truly don't hate any team. <laughs> you are literally just putting in data and based on historical, you know, player performance and all sorts of things, that's, right. that's exactly what, what it, what it, spits out but we know that baseball is a game played by human beings and some players will excel right. and Absolutely. others will take a step back and then that's not anything anyone can predict there correct there there are things that models are really good at that humans are not uh extending performance beyond the most recent season or two is one of them and it weights the most recent seasons more than the than the previous ones but we kind of lose track as people, not, not everyone to be clear, but I'm speaking in general generalities here, but we, we tend to lose track of, of kind of the history of a player's history and underweight uh, certain things or overweight certain things. And the model does better at those things than, than we do 
there are things that people do better than any model will do. I, there are things, uh, I, I was talking about this with Vince Gennaro of, of SiriusXM recently, and I was talking about just sticking in the central, Cabrian Hayes. Uh, Cabrian Hayes came back from an injury, and uh, one of our authors wrote about this, Robert Orr, talked about the uh, this, the mechanical changes that he made, um, that that he started lifting the ball to the pull side, which is if you read any modern analysis of hitting right now, that's what you want to be doing if you're looking to add power. It's not the only thing you want to do, but if you're looking to add power, that's what you want. And that's what Cabrian Hayes has missed his entire career. He hits the ball incredibly hard, uh, but he hits he was hitting it to all fields and he hits it on the ground. So now he's lifting the ball based on a mechanical change uh, and and pulling it in the air. And all of a sudden he was hitting for more power. He slugged over 500 after his return from injury. Okay, so there we have some anecdotal evidence, some small sample evidence. Uh, and we have to know that we, you know, that we as humans can see that and can adapt to that and maybe build that into what we think Cabrian Hayes is going to do in the future. But the model only sees the full year. It waits all of those games as much as it waits his first four, you know, the, before the injury. And it doesn't know that there's an anecdotal change, a mechanical change. It knows he performed better in those months, but it's not waiting the latter two months more than the former, you know, than, than the beginning of the season. And sometimes that's the right way to do it. We can get deceived by small sample sizes, but sometimes it's actually uh, the wrong way when someone makes a change. Spencer Torkelson is another great example of a guy who made a mid-season change that his overall stats don't reflect super well, but we know on that sample size there was an intentional change, there was a mechanical change, and something went, you know, and, and things went really well for him after that. So those are just examples of, of what models do that humans, you know, model models might miss that humans are going to catch, but there are a lot of things that humans misestimate that models do a better job with. So let's take a look right now at the 2023 Pocota predictions. You guys had Milwaukee in first place at 87 and Milwaukee, you know, kind of did what Milwaukee did. They took the division, but you had St. Louis at 87 wins you know, almost the same as Milwaukee. I mean, we're talking yep. about percentage differences here. And then you had the Cubs at roughly 77 wins, Pittsburgh 70, Cincinnati at 66. But when we look at what actually happened, Brewers slightly exceeded at 92. The Cubs slightly exceeded at 83. Cincinnati really exceeded over your models with 82. And, and St. Louis vastly underperformed yep. compared to what the model said. What happened last year, in your opinion, that helped the Cubs uh, beat out their projections by a few games all the way up to 83 wins. Well, I think Cody Bellinger, you know, putting up a five win season, uh, we know he has that latent ability. He obviously hadn't played to that level before. Um, and if you look at kind of the underlying things, I wrote about Bellinger in September of last year. Uh, and I, you know, I, and, and Mike Petriello wrote about this, I think in the off season, uh, Mike Axisa wrote about it at, at CBS sports. Bellinger was a really interesting guy in terms of outperforming his uh, – I don't, I don't want to say his peripherals. His, his stats were really good, and, and and no one's trying to say that he didn't, like, you know, he didn't do it. He didn't earn it. He put those wins up, right? And and all those doubles and home runs all counted, and I think they mattered for the Cubs. 
but if you look at his average exit velocity, his 90th percentile exit velocity, these kind of things, the home runs that he put up, the extra base hits that he put up outperform or, or, or outperformed what his his kind of combination of launch angle and exit velocity would would have led you to believe. And that that is what our metric DRC plus takes into account. It's some of what it takes into account. Um, and, you know, it's it's what X, you know, X Woba expected stats take into account, things like that. So he's a really interesting guy. Um, I, I still think he was better even on those metrics than than we would have thought coming into the season, the way he had performed previously. He got healthy. I think the change of scenery helped him, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, there are also interesting guys like Christopher Morrell is a really interesting guy. And I think he's a guy uh, in the mold of, and and again, the, he's not the only one. And and I, I worry, you know, you, you, we joke about, pe- you know, the, the system hating these teams or whatever. Every system has holes. Uh, that's from people to, to every individual model, things like that, or, or not even holes, but just, uh, you know, guys that are outliers, right? Christopher Morrell uh, swings and misses a lot, doesn't walk a lot. Those are things that our metric DRC plus, which is different than Pakoda, doesn't like uh, or, or, or is going to count against him. But when he makes contact, it's really hard. And that's really good. And it does value that, right? It doesn't think he's bad. It, I think our DRC plus Adam at a slightly above league average player. But if you look at OPS, what actually happened, you know, something like that, he was better than that. Uh, he performed better than than what our deserved runs created says he, he performed. So, you know, you get a number of those guys and you can outperform in, in situations like that. I also think, you know, defense is always hard to quantify the Cubs. I think we talked about this last year, the Cubs heading into the season up the middle defense was really, really strong. And I think it was Dansby Swanson was fantastic. Nico Horner. I mean, deadly up the middle Cody Bellinger, when he was in center field played really well there, obviously Mike Talkman could play if you Pete Crow Armstrong. It's going to be really good there. If it, it, you know, if they choose to go with him, I, you know, I think some of those things, how those, those, uh, I think how defense plays out is is one thing that can really impact a model. I think it can it can impact in a big way, like actual games versus how things project. And and I think honestly, St. Louis is a great example of that. Both historically, we had underprojected the Cardinals, and last year was kind of a big correction to to the fact that we projected them fair to be fairly good and if you look at one of the things that really fell apart for them, obviously they're pitching, but their defense, they had been one of the best defensive clubs in baseball for, you know, I don't know how long a decade. And it wasn't just Yadi Molina, although that's part of it. You're talking about up the middle, you're talking about, you know, outfield defense, but Jordan Walker really struggled. You know, Nolan Arenado was good, but not platinum glove Nolan Arenado. Uh, shortstop wasn't as defensively strong as it was might be now with Mason Wynn. We'll see, but you know, the, these are the kind of things that play into all of that. Well, let's take you. You guys also had Justin Steele having a good year last year, and he was, you know, mentioned for Cy Young, and and so again, certain guys are going to outperform, and certain guys are going to regress, and that's kind of part of it. So let us look at the 2024 Pagoda projections right now. How the hell does St. Louis get back to number one? 85 wins. Chicago with 80. Milwaukee 78. Cincinnati 78, and Pittsburgh 73. Now I'm going to be honest, Craig. I know you're not yep. the one doing this, but. I don't know. I just haven't been super impressed with what St. Louis did. And I, I thought that Cincinnati really, to me, looks like a team that's on the rise. What sure. am I missing? 
So, yeah, this is interesting. So I will also note that that we run these every day. So our current ones have uh, have Chicago at 81 and 81, technically, if you round. So so there are all, a, a few slight changes there. Um, so St. Louis, I, th- I, I was talking about this with, with someone else online the day that we released these standings. And I think what people can struggle to, to look at and say, like, St. Louis isn't 14 games better than they were last year. Well, that's true. But what any statistical model is going to say is that they weren't actually a 71 win team last year, not on talent, not on a talent basis, right? Well, obviously they gave up a lot more, more runs than they scored. That's a recipe for losing games. But if you go up and down their lineup at any projections, I think Fangraphs released theirs. They're right around the same 84 wins. Maybe Wilson Contreras can hit. Paul Goldschmidt can hit. Nolan Arenado, maybe not as well as he used to, but can still hit, right? Jordan Walker projects to hit very well still. You you, you go up and down the entire lineup, and you're going to get the, you know, all of those guys can hit. I think I looked, uh, they have more than uh, nine batters projected at league average or better. Well, that's really hard to go through as an opposing pitcher. You know, maybe there's no individual guy like Aaron Judge who will, who will kill you. Maybe there's not someone exactly like that, but there are a number of really good offensive players and they'll just wear you down. You know, Lars Nupar is, again, maybe not a killer, but top of that lineup, strong OBP, again, wears you, makes you throw a lot of pitches, wears you down. The other thing they did, obviously, they added Sonny Gray. That's a big improvement on their pitching side. Now, is adding Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson a big improvement? I would say no. I would say no. But one of the big things that killed them last year was their depth, right? How many how many innings their backups and backups to their backup starters, their their seventh, eighth, ninth starters had to throw last year. So even if Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson are marginally worse than average, if they're in the four and five spot and just eating up innings, protecting the bullpen, that kind of thing, there's a lot of value in that. That doesn't mean it's good innings, but it's still it can be volume innings and and that can be worth something and the the last thing they did was their bullpen actually got substantially better um it 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 was it that's a low bar to clear (laughs) you know they they weren't very good but giovanni gallegos ryan helsley even jojo romero uh projects to pitch very well for them uh and and then they added keenan middleton they added you know they added some guys who can miss bats here and there, generate ground balls, which they obviously have always liked. Uh, Andrew Kittredge, people aren't going to put a lot of value in his name. There's not a lot of name value there, but he can miss bats when he's healthy, and he's always missed bats when he's healthy, and they picked him up. So it's, it's things like that for St. Louis that that bring them up. For for Cincinnati, and I'll, I'll be brief, they've got a lot of really young hitters. Some of them were really, really good. Matt McClain, tremendous season. But again, if you look at the underlying stuff the the exit velocities how often he's putting the ball on the ground you wouldn't normally project a five uh 500 slug so he gets regressed a little bit ellie de la cruz might be the most exciting player in baseball he really fell off after a really hot start in june and so he's got a short track record of not great play so the projection isn't going to be that great uh they also their playing time is very uh up in the air let's say you know, they brought in Jamer Candelario. They already had, I would say, five or six infielders, right? They're playing Spencer Steer in the outfield. Jonathan India, where's he going to play? Where is Noel V. Marte going to play? 
it, you know, how much playing time are all these guys going to get? So I think certainly an ascendant club who went out and got some pitching, but Frankie Montas, who knows how many innings, who knows what quality Nick, you know, Nick Martinez, actually probably a pretty good fit for that part. But a lot of the pitching additions, Emilio Pagan is a really fly ball pitcher. You throw him in the bullpen <laughs> in that park. I don't know. You know, so it's, it's, we'll see. I think a lot of it will come down to pitching health for them. Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, uh, those guys need to stay healthy to give them a shot. Now, you guys also at Baseball Perspective have these really cool simulated wins by percentage by teams. And it's kind of like a visual representation, but, but could you explain that to our listeners a little bit? Yeah, I'm thrilled that you brought these up. I love these and I probably don't even reference them enough. So these are, are what's called bridge plots. So it's, it's just, it's a, like you said, the simulated win percentage is on the bottom. And our projections are based, people always say, why do you have, you know, 80.6 wins for, for your projection? Well, we run a thousand simulations every night. And so 80.6 is, is just the percentage of, of win, you know, it's the simulated win uh, wins over for a 498 win percentage for the Cubs that, uh, you know, in those thousand sims. Uh, so what this displays is all of those sims laid out from worst to best, essentially, and how how many of them, the peak of it is obviously how many of them ended up in that win win percentage range. So you'll see, uh, you, you can see essentially see in how many uh, the, the Cubs actually end up winning more games than the Brewers, than the Cardinals, than whatever. The Cardinals have the highest number of wins, you know, f- furthest along the win percentage chart, which is why they're projected to win the division. But you can also see that there are a, a lot of scenarios where the Cubs or even the Brewers win more games than the Cardinals or the teams ahead of them in the standings. That's a, it's a really helpful graphic, I think, to, to estimate also kind of the upside and downside of various teams. I think Pittsburgh, you can see, are so far back in terms of where the, the highest point of their ridge is. But if you look at the right tail, the most successful season, it's actually pretty good. And it's not that far back from some of the other teams ahead of them. So that might be saying on average, they're not that good a team, but because they're young, because there's some upside, you know, the, you know, in, in the optimal scenario, they, they might actually not be too bad. Like I said, you had the Brewers in third place, the Cubs, like I said, 81 wins. I could, I could see that right now without making any other moves. You know, that, that seems realistic that 84 last year and you're taking away Stroman and Bellinger. Uh, yeah, Imanaga. You don't know what you got there, but so, uh, you so know. Imanaga is a huge part of it. And and I, I'm sorry for for uh, no, no, interrupting, but I really think he's crucial to to this projection and and how it compares to maybe some of the other ones out there. Um, we project Imanaga to have a DRA minus. That's our our stat, deserved run average, and and minus just puts it on. It's an index stat, so we project him to have a DRA minus of 115, which is 15 percent worse than league average. That's really pretty bad. Uh, so that's a very negative projection. And I'm not saying that I think that's right. What I'm saying is I think that's the reason we're lower on the Cubs by a win or two than some of these other ones. Because we have him projected for 145 innings. And if he's 15% worse than average for 145 innings, that's a lot of bad pitching, right? That's potentially like Lance Lynn, right? Just throwing him out there, eating innings, and it's bad performance. The reason we have that projection is Imanaga was a really fly ball prone pitcher in Japan. So we have his, I'm, I'm going off memory, but but uh, my recollection is we have his home run 
per fly ball rate at like two per nine, which is really bad, right? He And he was one of the bottom five home run per fly ball pitchers in Japan last year. Uh, I think maybe over the, across the last three years. So he gives up a lot of home runs. Now, he gets swings and misses. This is not to say he's a bad pitcher. There are a lot of pitchers like this, right, that give up home runs. But, you know, if, if they're in the zone and they miss their spot, it's going to go a long way. We've seen guys like that. So the question is, if we're right on that kind of translation of his stats, right? And we know major league hitters can punish the ball on in general. Again, this is generalities. A little bit more than the NPB hitters. And we know that if you make a mistake in the major leagues, not it's just not only that they're stronger or, or more used to hitting for power, but just that there are the, the ability to, to damage the ball in general up and down a lineup is better here than it is in, in NPB. Um, so that's some of that translation. That's some of that reasoning. I think if you go look at, again, I'm going off the top of my head, but I think Zips had a different home run per nine projection and he looks like a much better pitcher. Uh, so the and, and to me, part of it is he's landed in Wrigley, which is generally a good place to to hit. So I am very curious how that will pay out play out. I think he's a really good pitcher, and it might be a bit of a pessimistic uh, projection, but I also understand why it's going there. Now, I saw this tweet from my friend Matt Clapp from the blog finds at the blog finds. And what he did is he went back and looked at the projected preseason by fan graphs followed by the actual win total. So not, not apples to apples, but similar in, tw in 2016, the projected win totals for the Brewers was 69 games and they ended up winning 73. 2017 was projected. They went 70 and they won 86. And, and so you can kind of see going all the way up other than one year, which I think they had a lot of injuries on. I'm trying to figure out which year it was. I want to say 2022. I think they're, they had a lot of pitching injuries that year. But it seems like every year the Brewers outperformed what a lot of people expected while Craig Council was manager. Did you notice that as well? Uh, sure. I mean, like we we look at all our our track record on this stuff. Uh, it's and it's hard. There are a lot of reasons. I, Harry Pavlidis uh, is fond of saying, and I think he's he's absolutely right, is that pr uh, any projection is a playing time projection ultimately. And so what happens is how we're how we tend to miss in these situations is again, if, if Shota Yumanaga is 15% worse than league average every time he goes out there, which isn't how it works, but let's just pretend the Cubs probably aren't going to let him throw 145 innings. You're going to get Cade Horton in there. Right. And, and Cade Horton might be better. And so we're going to be wrong. Not only on, we might be right on performance, right? If, if we're right on, on that, but we're going to be wrong on innings. And then we're going to get more Cade Horton innings than maybe we're projecting. And those might be better, right? Which is why he'd stay in the lineup. There's a dynamism to all of the, to, to how, how roster decisions tend to get made, right? And I think this was one of the reasons we were often really off on St. Louis. What they were really good at, this is just a theory of mine, was cycling these guys off. Like they could get three great weeks of somebody, right? And then as soon as they start to hit the skids, they didn't just keep running them out there. They turned to someone else. They always had someone else to rotate in. And so you can get really far off on playing time in that way, not just on pitchers, but, you know, on, on, uh, on, on the position player side too, you know, Michael Bush or Matt Mervis, right? I mean, it's going to be Michael Bush, obviously early on, but if he struggles and Matt Mervis comes in and can hit, 
we're going to get a completely different scenario than we have. And, and you can hedge your bets, right? And you can say, maybe it's 50-50. That's not what we did. But we, let's say you did that. But then you're going to be wrong anyway, right? So there are a lot of ways to be really wrong on this stuff. And, and it can just play out in, in so many uh, in, in so many different facets. And so the manager part of this is obviously the decisions that they tend to make. I think what Craig Council is generally is often known for is his his deftness with the bullpen. Um, I am curious how that plays out with the Cubs, not because I, I think you know they've made really good strides on the pitching side and had some re really nice bullpen performances last year from guys you might not have anticipated. But the Brewers are a factory on that front, right? Who is Abner Uribe? Okay. But you know, he comes out with a sub two ERA, right? And it's like, how many, they just do that with a guy every year. They have like a guy that does that. Are the Cubs going to be that way? How much of that was council's management, putting him in a position to succeed versus Brewers player development? Well, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. There's probably some sort of synergy there where they work off of each other. And so I'm interested to see what council brings to the Cubs in that regard. I think the biggest thing a manager can do is put his guys in a position to succeed, bullpen and otherwise. And I think Craig Council is one of the best managers in baseball. That's how he got that contract. That's that's no small thing. But it also depends on the talent in place and how the front office and 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 council work together to adapt what they're doing and and are on the same page and that kind of thing. And that might take a year to to iron out. I don't know, but it'll it'll be very interesting and something we're certainly watching. All right, Craig, I'm going to give you one chance to speak to the Cub fans and let them know why you think the Cubs are going to be successful this year, why you think that the Cubs may be on that 90th percentile of wins. Why? What should Cub fans hang their hats on for a good season? <laughs> Boy, uh, putting it to me. So <laughs> I think, no, it's I, I'm not down on the Cubs, honestly. I think I, it was really interesting when, when I, I wrote an article uh, during our Pakota week, which happened last week, about teams Pakota likes and dislikes. And for my dislikes article, I wasn't sure how to categorize the Cubs. I knew I knew it wasn't like super positive, but I was very curious how Cubs fans felt about this team. And frankly, based on the response I got when the standings went live, it was kind of, they don't know either. Or like, you know, it's mixed. It's mixed among the fan base, right? A lot of people are unhappy with the front office, wanted to see kind of a bigger swing. And I think that's kind of how I feel. So, so it's a little hard for me to say, like, here's why they're going to do the 90, you know, here's why their 90th percentile outcome. Because this feels like a team that's missing that one superstar level player, right? Like, I'm not saying they should have traded for Juan Soto or even had the pieces to do it. But you put Juan Soto in the middle of this lineup and suddenly it feels right. Like the gravitational pull feels right. Whereas like now it's a little, there's no one to hold that center in that exact same way. And I'm not saying I think Cody Bellinger is the answer. He was last year. He performed like it. But there are a lot of reasons to think Cody Bellinger isn't going to be that Cody Bellinger again. And so I'm not saying the, off, the front office made a mistake not going for him. But I do think someone in that vein, you know, the Cubs were just quiet, quiet, quiet throughout the offseason up until January. You know, I liked the Bush trade. For them, I liked picking up Yancy Almonte. I actually think they've done a nice job, like I said, with the bullpen, putting in a bunch of arms that are that are pretty interesting and and that can work. And I think that was something that 
they went and got Jose Quas, uh, you know, at the, at the deadline, but they were running out of guys, right? They, they threw Marcus Stroman back there for a little bit, you know, all this kind of stuff. I, I think they kind of set themselves up to have a better situation. And I think if this, if this Cubs team is going to hit their 90th percentile projection, let's say, I, it, it, this is different than what you asked me, but I think if they're going to, it's going to be because the pitching is better than than we project it to be, than maybe I even think it is. I was not a huge fan of the Jam- Jamison Tyon signing. Uh, not that I don't like JMO, but, you know, I just, the track record there, I was a little surprised uh, at the time. But, you know, Kate Horton, I mentioned him before. I'm interested to see what he brings to the table. Jordan Wicks, what can he do? I know it's going to be the back of the bullpen, back of the rotation. I'm not saying he's like a number one starter or anything like that. It's the young guys, right? I mean, like that's that's where it'll come down to. And I think it can be the young guys in arms. Shota, Shota Imanaga, not a young guy, but a new guy, right? Like how those guys perform, I think is going to dictate this. Justin Steele, can he keep it up, not have those last six starts or so? that he had at the end of 2023 where I thought, you know, I thought maybe he's a Cy Young guy and the last six starts kind of tailed off. I I think it's going to be those guys. And you can say the same on the hitting side, right? I mean, they have so many options. What is Pete Crow Armstrong going to do? What is Michael Bush going to do? What are we going to see at third base? Are they opening a spot for Matt Shaw that quickly, right? Who knows right now? Um, There's a rambling answer to hide that I didn't have a good one. For you, but <laughs> I really do think that's the case, though. I mean it. I mean it. It's rambling, and it's a, it's it's no, it's, no. You're you're you. I, I'm going to tell you honestly. If you talk to most Cub fans, they're on the same boat. We don't know what yeah. this team is, and there isn't who's the guy that scares the opposing pitcher when you go down that that lineup. And is that per does that person exist? And and who knows? And so there's a lot of well, what if say a Suzuki's that guy? He was that last month, month and a half of the season. Exactly. What if this? What if that? Um, so there's a lot of, of uncertainty, I think, going into it. And all you can, can do is just say, thank God we're in the NL Central. You know, well, thank God I, we're not in the East and thank God we're not in the West. <laughs> and here's one bit of positivity, obviously. So, look, we we had to uh, – Patrick Dubuque, one of our, our editors and authors, wrote an article last year about how we missed the Orioles by 26 games, right, <laughs> on our projections. When you make projections, you got you to gotta do stuff like that. And that, I'm serious when I say we go back and look at it. Oh, yeah. But – we missed the Orioles by 26 games. And I think everyone thought the Orioles were, were, were on the come up. Right. So, but again, when you have a short kind of statistical track record, there are wider, uh, you know, margins of error, error bars, that kind of thing. The Cubs have a lot of these young guys with relatively short track records. I mean, Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, our, our defensive projections don't like him for whatever reason. Now that's insane. Right. I mean, the guy is his gold glove quality outfielder. So the projection might not like his overall, you know, warp or whatever, his wins above replacement, but he's going to be better on the defensive side. So that's, you can already kind of erase that. It was just a small sample size kind of fluke kind of thing. His bat, it might be right on. We have him about 15% worse than league average. We don't know what the bat will be, but these young players with very minimal track records, especially the ones that fly through the majors, Matt Shaw, or fly through the minors, excuse me. Matt Shaw, for example. Pete Crow Armstrong is an early, early, early 20s, right? It's not like he spent a lot of time in the minors. It's going to have a different kind of, uh, it's going to be more conservative with those guys than than I think uh, it would be with someone who has a longer track record in the minors. And we just, teams are changing how they matriculate guys through the system. And, and the reason I brought up the Orioles is Gunnar Henderson, right? Jordan Westberg. Uh, 
you know, Colton Kowser we saw for a little bit, Hessen Kierstad we saw for a little bit. They had all these guys, these young players to turn to that they, again, like the Cardinals, they could cycle through when they needed to. And also they had relatively short track records in the minors that our, our system might have been a little more conservative on. And ultimately, you know, Gunnar Henderson's a five-win player anyway. So, you know, you, you end up with misses like that on guys like that. So I, I think that's something that I'm not saying that the, the Cubs are set up in the exact same way. You know, Gunnar Henderson was our top overall uh, prospect last year. Uh, Adley Rutschman was the one before that. The Cubs don't have that guy, right? But we really like Matt Shaw. We really liked him in our draft coverage. And so it might not be this to the same level or to the same degree, but they do have a lot of young guys who, again, could could outproduce those kind of projections. Well, Craig, I appreciate you jumping on and giving us a little bit of background. Where can our listeners uh, read your work and find out more about Pakoda? Sure. Uh, baseballperspectus.com. We have a, a whole page that uh, our Pakoda projection page. Uh, it's got all our articles from Pakoda Week. Uh, we have a podcast where we discussed our, our standings. I was not there. I was sick, as I said. Uh, we've got this book behind me. Sorry on this side. Uh, the baseball, the, the 2024 Baseball Prospectus Annual Essays on All 30 Teams. Roy Wood Jr. Uh, wrote the Cubs essay this year, uh, plus projections. Uh, you know, the Pakoda projections are in there in a stat box. We've got a comment right below it. We've got our top one-on-one prospects in there with write-ups on each guy. Nine Cubs prospects on the top 101 you know so again maybe not the orioles in terms of top guys a lot of depth though there's a lot of guys in there uh michael bush listed as a dodger because we went to press early early uh in january but he he is the guy there so there are eight listed cubs but you count michael bush it's nine uh so but we have the book that you can buy um and and again just baseballperspectus.com uh, we we do great writing, great analysis, fantasy, dynasty, prospect coverage, everything you want. It's all there. Well, Craig, thank you for jumping on. And I look forward to doing this again next year. And one of these days, you're going to come up to me with some good news, buddy. <laughs> my, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, man.